All right. Welcome, 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 Myers Park Baptist Church family, friends, visitors. This is our um, Black History Intergenerational Panel. We're celebrating our month and our theme for Black History Month is lifting every voice, celebrating the diversity and the complexity of all the voices within our community. Okay. My name is Reverend Tara Gibbs. I'm the Minister of Youth and College at Myers Park Baptist Church, and I'm so excited to have this awesome, awesome panel here joining us today. So you didn't come here just to hear from me. You came to hear from our awesome panel. So we're going to bring them on in, have them introduce themselves, and we'll get started with some questions, some interaction, and hearing from you all, okay? All right, here's our awesome, awesome panel. So let's go ahead and get started. These are some wonderful members, friends of our very own church community, have some wonderful insights to share. So let's just start with an introduction if we can. Um, I'd like to start with Devin. Would you mind introducing yourself, uh, telling us the generation you feel most closely aligned with, and then tell us some good news, something that's bringing you joy lately. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, so um, as Reverend Tara said, my name is Devin. I use he, they pronouns. I'm a member of Generation Z, um, so definitely one of the young ones, but I'm glad to be here, grateful to be here. Um, something that's bringing me joy is just the gift of music. Um, music has been so soothing to me lately, and um, being a member of the Charlotte Pride Band and being able to play with other um, talented people has just been so joyful for me. So, Excellent. We'd love to hear it. Okay. Next, I'm going to ask Mr. Pico Edwuzi. Hello. Thank you so much for uh, including me on this. Uh, my name is Pico Edwuzi. Um, I don't quite know which generation letter I use, but I'm an 80s baby. Um, um, something that's been bringing me joy, you know, I have a, a little one and so I've just been staying home, spending a lot of time with the little one who's starting to learn to crawl. So watching just the magic of, you know, nature unfold has been really joyful. Excellent. Thank you so much. Okay. And Carla Hines. Hi. Good afternoon, Carla Hines. Um, although 62 is my uh, birth year. Uh, I identify more with Gen X, I think, than the Boomers, too. Um, and it's a blessing to be here. Excellent. All right. Mother Tonda, hi. Good afternoon, Tonda Leia Bowles. I am definitely Boomer. <laughs> definitely I, Boomer. And I, without the current events of the global current events, uh, Sometimes I think I get a, I do have a lot of joy in just sitting back and looking at how far we've come and how far we're going and in, and what we've accomplished sometimes in such a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The children are amazing. That's, that's the, they're amazing. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm included in the children as well. So, thank you. Uh, anyone who was born um, after 1960 is a child to me. <laughs> so, so I and, and with that, you got so much applause from the rest of your panelists today. <laughs> okay. And last but not least, Lorian. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Larian Bowles. My pronouns are she, her, hers. Um, I am definitely Generation X. 
Um, I'm very prideful of being part of Generation X. I think we're the new forgotten generation. Um, the latchkey kids, the one, and, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way, um, but uh, the kids who babysit ourselves, the ones that people didn't think we would do much, but we've done so much. Um, so my piece of good news is I am just grateful for the, the crest of spring and uh, the, the lightning of day that it's not dark at five o'clock right now. And so it just is a reminder that time moves mm. and it really depends on what you do with it, how you feel about it. But I'm just really grateful that spring is coming. Excellent, excellent. Thank you so much. So Lorian's already got us started a little bit with the generational wars here, right? The ideas of these different generations. So let's let's just jump into it, right? Um, Devin, can we hear from you? What what do you think about some of the other generations? What what comes to your mind? You know, I think so. For me personally, I definitely have a lot of respect for um, the generations that have come before me because they've helped to lay the path um, that I'm able to take now. I definitely think that um, Gen Z is a little bit misunderstood um, by previous generations. I think there's a common misconception that we're soft or lazy or that, you know, we don't appreciate the world that we were born into. But I definitely think that, um, be especially being born after 9-11, um, and being born into, into crisis has definitely shaped the way that a lot of us see the world. So that's kind of my general um, thought pattern. Right. Okay. Thank you. That's helpful. Now, Carla, um, Devin was born before 9-11. And for many of us, 9-11 is this huge, you know, like marker. Um, what about for you? What, what do you think of when you think of older generations, younger generations, your own generation? What are your thoughts, Carla? Um, personally, I have always been an old soul at heart. Um, so I have a great appreciation and respect for my elders. I always have. Um, there uh, have been a lot of things that have occurred in my lifetime. Um, you know, 9-11 obviously is one marker. Um, when I got out of college, I was commissioned and went into the Army. Uh, it was very different. I went in as an officer, had a great experience. Um, what I say that because uh, there are a lot of things that happened around me that shaped my views on the world at large. Um, I've always been one to, uh, with younger people, I work at a university and they keep me young. Um, I, that is precisely that reason that I chose to work at a university, uh, because no day is the same. And I think our future, um, is dependent upon how much we're able to relate to each other generation to generation. I don't think there's any one generation better than the other. I think uh, it's more challenge for younger uh, people in the younger generation because I think we've lost the art of communication. Uh, good face-to-face, person-to-person communication. Even if we do it on Zoom, I think that the quality of it has, um, has suffered. Uh, there are many things that happened truly during the pandemic. Uh, I think there were some things, but it's not just about the pandemic. It's uh, being authentic, being able to articulate well your thoughts, your concerns, and not being afraid of backlash. And I think that's what brings all the generations together. I have never valued one generation over the other. I've always respected my elders. That's how I was raised. Um, so I think there's a great deal of room for growth uh, to bring the generations together. Mm. 
Thank you. Oh, excellent. Now, Lorian, you also work at a university, so you have to wrestle with your own generation, um, the institution likely being run by a different generation and also serving yet a different generation. Can you talk to us a little bit about how that intersects with your work? I mean, I think that it's a... Uh... It's funny, I think that's a common thing for the folks that are in the space first. You know, so many of us have, uh, you know, I live in an intergenerational household, um, which has its own uh, blessings and then challenges associated with it. And uh, I think that, funny enough, one of the things that the pandemic has shown me is that I think that I've cultivated a lot more grace for younger generations than I've had. I think that we, like we're here, we're at this intergenerational panel and we all wanna kind of say the right thing about how we think about um, older generations and younger generations. But I actually think that the pandemic has helped me to cultivate a lot of uh, uh, empathy for younger generations because there are just certain things that I truly did not have my mind wrapped around when it comes to younger generations. And I think, um, well, one, empathy for older generations and like, wow, they thought that they had handed us a baton with so much and yet there's still so much to do. So there's that tension about progress and so far to go that kind of gives me pause at times. And then for younger generations, I think, I don't know. Had a little sound blip there, sound went out just for a moment. It's no worries. Uh, we were hearing a little bit of you before about the, um, the empathy you were having for other generations. Um, I wonder if um, Pico wouldn't speak a little bit on that as well too, from your from your side of things. Yeah, um, you know, I also work at the college. And so um, when Ms. Carla mentioned that, you know, working with younger people just brings so much joy. It's a ton of fun. Like, you know, the kids show up, intro to sociology and like you make reference, you mentioned Lauren Hill and people are looking at you and you're like, well, okay, they don't get that. They don't. So like, as you, as, you, as you're there, you realize that um, you're certainly falling in different generations. I just looked up my year and I guess I'm generation X as well. Um, um, and what's odd for me, but the millennial starts in 85 is mm -hmm. that I've never had a strong generational identity. And mm -hmm. now that I look at my year, I see because I'm at the cusp of two generations. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was, I remember not having internet, but then a big bulk of my college experience was all using the internet. I remember not having a cell phone, but I'm a part of a time when cell phones are everything. Um, I was sort of young enough to remember 9-11, but I was in high school, so it didn't really hit me in the same way as it hit other folks. Um, and so, I think, I guess I would say for my generation, of course we look back and think back on what folks did before us, but we've also always, you know, at the turn of the millennia, at the turn of that, we, we've also always been really aspirational and feeling like we can do everything and change everything and do whatever. Um, and so that is something that I think I, I empathize with the millennials and, and those that came after. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. I love to hear it because I guess sometimes, especially with social media and things, it just seems like it's always one against the other. There's articles with headlines about millennials killing this industry or Gen Z causing this to happen, protesting X, Y, and Z. But then if we think about it, we don't hear or we don't realize that this is in some ways a repeat. This isn't all brand new. Um, I wonder, Miss um, Tonda, if you could speak a little bit about, do you see a lot of 
repeats, right? Or things happening again, or is this, is it as new as we feel like sometimes? What are your thoughts? Are you, are you, did you refer to me, Tara? Cause I could yes. for a second. Oh, apologies. Yes. Yes, ma'am. I was asking um, about um, from your lifetime, do you feel like we're repeating a lot of things or are there a bunch of new things that maybe we haven't seen it's, before? It's, it's a real combination. There is a lot of repetition, but there is so much new. And I think, um, and sometimes, uh, and my family would attest to that I blame my generation um, because we were the sort of, we had the jump off, I think, in the 60s. And a lot of things jumped off. But then we got a little silly in our carry through. And so it's like, then, so we wind up running with sort of like a football, but then getting halfway through tripping. And then somebody, when you watch football, then they drag you back another 25 yards. So um, I, and I think just as human beings, if we would stop being so critical and, mm -hmm. and that's what I dislike with me, it, the media always, and this was old newspapers before there was internet, you know, you always have to put one group against the other. Is it Gen Z? Is it Gen I had no idea other than a baby boomer, what I was, uh, what that there was differences. And then I kept hearing millennials. I'm like, well, what's a millennial? What's a Z? What's a, I just had no idea. But I, I think all of, instead of each looking to see what the other brings, um, you know, there's so much criticism to it. It's like, you know, but each each generation um, yes, there's repetition, but it, it's, we get so much farther along. We mm -hmm. get so much farther along. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, fortunately, because mankind is mankind, it's whatever the next is a hundred years from now, they'll still be talking about this same thing. <laughs> But that's my that's my thought on it. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, Carla, did you want to comment on that? Yes. Uh, and one of the things that always amazes me and, and I have to I often join groups and I try and refrain from initially responding so that I can hear if there is a um, item that's up for debate. Uh, that I try and make sure I understand the other perspectives in the room better before I bring forth my, my own, because I think that's the beauty of building a better solution is really understanding, you know, a person, uh, uh, all, everyone in this room here is African-American, but we all have different lives. We have, all have different things that have impacted and made us who we are. So rather than thinking my my experience is the one that has the right solution, being willing to hear what other people have to say. And rather than reacting to it, just because I'm in a particular generation, 
um, try and understand, help me understand that in a better way so that it'll make sense to me. And it doesn't mean that I am challenging aspects. It means that I'm really trying, genuinely trying to understand so that we can remain in the conversation a little longer. And I think a lot of times we are, are impatient uh, mm -hmm. people overall. I'm not saying we in, in any particular group, sometimes people are just impatient and they don't stay in the conversation long enough to get the beauty of working together, I think. And that's the challenge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That conversation piece that you brought up, I think is just so key because the other part of the conversation is listening, right? It's not just putting forth what we want to say. It's, it's listening. So um, that kind of ties a little bit to what I wanted to ask kind of next. Um, Pico, you mentioned you're kind of on that cusp. You feel like you're, you see that technically you would fall into Gen X, but you gotta, you're right there next to uh, some older millennials. Um, what do you think? Does this generation play a lot bigger part than race perhaps, or are they just all intertwined? What yeah. are your thoughts? Yeah, that's a, that's a really, that's a tough question um, and an important one. Um, one, I don't think I have an answer to it, but as I was thinking, one of the things that popped in my head, um, listening to, I know her as Gigi, I'm gonna call her Gigi, <laughs> listening to uh, Gigi talk um, and talk about your generation that's feeling like you've done so much and you dropped the ball. The thing that I've always admired is how incredibly and beautifully strategic mm. your generation was. It, it, I just feel like everything was planned out. You did this to try to get this outcome. You do this to try to provoke this, to move this forward. Um, and part of, and this is where, uh, Tara, this is where it may connect with the question about race. Part of it is, as a collective of Black folks, there seem to have been, um, I don't want to say unity to, to presume that there isn't unity today, but there seems to be like, a, um, and maybe this is a romanticized understanding of it, but there seems to be like a, 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 a better understanding of like, we're all in this together. There's a, there was a togetherness around black folks um, that today in some ways for the good, maybe for the bad, it has splintered. And I don't mean that in a negative sense, but there isn't as a unified collectiveness on, for example, what the racial agenda is or what the blackness agenda is and any of those kinds of things. And so, I mean, I think that's a good thing. I think that's a beautiful thing. We're moving, we're sort of like allowing the, the beautiful complexity and diversity of blackness to show. Um, but that, at least in my reading, I think sometimes also prevents the strategicness that um, used to be present. Um, that it's not about that as much anymore. Um, and so for me, that's that's where I guess the generation and the race mm -hmm. intersects a little bit. Um, people in this generation feel like we want to be able to not abide by any singular tune, right? Mm -hmm. Which in some ways is a good thing, but in other ways it prevents the, the beautiful strategic political movement that mm -hmm. I think your generation's had. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, so it sounds like it does. It, it's different for each generation. Right. But unfortunately, what seems to remain the same is that as African-Americans or people who are part of the black diaspora, we still have work to do. Am I hearing you? <laughs> so it looks different generationally, but there's still work to do. Let's um, before I move on, let's let's hit this question um, brought to, by Sandy Hill. And they say, what does the panel 
most wish their white friends understood. So whoever would like to take a stab at that first, what is it that you wish uh, your white friends really understood? I think the one thing that sort of, sort of jumped out at me as I was reading the question is that a lot of times when there are conversation, conversations around race, um, I will hear um, particularly white people say that they feel shame or that they feel um, ashamed to be white or that of what has happened. And I think I wish people understood that it's not about shame or it's not about feeling bad because you're white or feeling bad because of what has happened, but it's about understanding the way that um, your race plays into societal issues. And it's about understanding the privileges that um, people were born into. And I'm not saying privilege is good or bad, but understanding that that privilege has to then be used in a way that furthers um, that furthers the acceptance of, of all races and that furthers the equality and equity. And so I would hope that people understand that the motive isn't to make people feel bad or that the motive isn't to, um, you know, make people feel ashamed. The motive is to simply say, we don't have equity and we need equity mm. and we need equality. And so that's what I wish more people understood. Mm. I love that. Devin, yeah, Devin, I, I really, because for me in particular, um, um, I think it's really, folks have to understand that um, history is supposed to help inform better decisions and actions going forth. And I think because I know in my education, it was truly lacking of the truth of some of the things that happened and the intent of sharing that information is not to continuously lash anybody. It truly is not. It is to say, okay, these are some of the realities of the things that are not taught, that are not known, that we we need to be aware of so we understand some of the systemic stuff that's going on and help that inform action and dialogue to improve that situation. To make sure, and my last comment would be, to make sure that as we move forward and make decisions and we advocate for change, that we have the right people sitting around the table, that we are represented mm -hmm. all. It does not just mean uh, African-American, it means uh, lesbians, it means uh, Jewish, it means whatever that means, because if you're making decisions for the general population, it comes in many shades, many different um, experiences. So making sure you got those people around the table, and I think that's what the historical focus uh, a lot of that is due to inform uh, our actions as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I love the expansion you put there, Carla, that it's not just the race sometimes because we have other intersectioning uh, identities as well, too. Right. <laughs> that all have, that are all incorporated and all make up who we are. Right. I love that. Um, so the question was about white friends, what white friends would know. Um, we wish white friends would know. Uh, is there somebody that could speak a little bit? I wonder about like, what about white co-workers or colleagues, right? What would you want those white co-workers or colleagues uh, to say? Uh, Lorraine, can we, can we uh, ask you that? Sure. Um, my, the first thing that jumped out to my mind is that uh, thinking about that it is not the responsibility of people of color to fix racism. It, it sounds like an oversimplification, but um, though it is something that disproportionately impacts BIPOC people, sure. 
but it impacts white people too in terms of the privileges that it confers, like Devin mentions, you know, in terms of being able to even move in the world and say, I have the privilege to treat everyone the same and for that to be okay. You know, whatever it is that a person defines the same. And so for me, it's, um, there is a, it's a shared responsibility. And so often I think that the, the mic gets thrust in our face. What do we need? What do we want? What do we fix it? Because it's kind of perceived as a problem that happens to people of color. Um, but I actually think that for me, it's really important for um, people to think about uh, a shared responsibility, a shared accountability. And I don't mean like it's anybody's individual fault because that doesn't really get us anywhere. But to understand the structures that we live in require coalition and change and not just um, a group of people say this is the way forward or this individual group of people say something is the way forward. But, but, but really that and to figure out what that means to be a part of the idea to fix it and then to not make it my responsibility to teach you how to fix it either. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of really great scholarship. There's a lot of really great activists, organizers that we can learn from. So it's not necessarily the responsibility of, you know, your non-white friend co-worker, colleague, in order to be the, the torchbearer in terms of social justice. Amen. I love that. I love that. Go ahead, Pico. And if I may follow up on, on, on that, that's the, the I think the, the really important part for me as I think about this sometimes as well is that um, the what's in it for white people to fix it is that like mm -hmm. it allows us to you to be more human. I think about this as a, as a male. I know the male privileges that I have. I don't. I don't think I want to keep living in the context, in the world, in structures where I know the things that are benefiting me is disrupting the ways my daughters, my wife, my friends, my mother. Like, if it's impacting their lives and preventing them from flourishing as much as they can, I'm not being as human as I could be. And so I think part of this, and you know, you can take this on the James Baldwin part, or this is a church thing, right? Like if we think about this in our faith route, if we really want to do this faith thing well, that's part of what we have to do, right? And so, so I totally agree with Laurie in it. It's A, it's not our responsibility. I'm not here to teach you unless I'm in the classroom and you're cutting a check and all that kind of stuff. I get that, right? But in this other context, it's not really in some ways about that. But for white folks, for um, men, for hetero folks, for anybody in the in 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 the sort of so-called oppressor group or the the group with the power, if we don't find a way to check yourself in these things, you're limiting your ability to be as fully human as possible. And I, mm. I that's how I think about it. Wow. That's good. That's good. I mean, it is our responsibility as humans to see one another as human. How else will community exist? Right. And that's on the macro level. It's also on the micro level, which I want to twist this question one more time. We talked about what we would want white friends to know, white colleagues and co-workers. What would you want your white church people, your church family to know? If I could ask that question. Ms. Tonda? We don't bite. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I, I, I bleed red. Um, I'm a retired nurse. 
um, I have not met one individual in my 35 years of nursing that did not bleed red. Um, just, I think for me, and because the times that I grew up, look at me. Don't make any assumptions. Try to see me. Um, don't decide because my hair is this way that I am one thing. Don't decide and it's that, that because I have a gap in my tooth that that says something else about me. I, I don't think that especially in the higher socioeconomic um, categories of folks, uh, I don't think they realize how influential they've, well, how influential uh, information they, they, they have received. They're not firsthand trying to um, learn, well, I read that, or I saw that, or I heard that, and then that's the truth. Mm -hmm. um, th my first visit to Myers Park, just a quick example, a woman approached me, and it was one of the few times that I did not feel that she was, had any trepidation in her step. She came up. And it wasn't, I didn't get any feeling that it was a rehearsed, um, but it was very relaxed. And I felt that that was my initiation into Myers Park Baptist. Mm. And that was a good thing. So I would just say, or close your eyes for a moment and talk to the Black person. And you'll see that if there's children same issues, grandchildren, same issues, siblings, same issues, elderly parents, oh gosh, same issues. So, you know, we all have the same problems. You know, it's just, it looks a little different and sure economics can help you and, you know, monetary uh, reimbursement in the correct categories can make it a little easier for you. But it just, see the person as the person without any assumptions as to what you've heard or seen. Mm -hmm. That's that's my bit. Mm -hmm. I love it. <laughs> Straight to the point. <laughs> um, you said we all bleed bread. You know, we don't bite. Yes. <laughs> there are some things that life just does not see color <laughs> about. <laughs> yes. Some griefs, some stresses, some <laughs> trauma, some pain. It mm -hmm. is, you know, rated E for everybody, as some might say. Right. <laughs> Anybody can get that. So thank you for that. I'd love to hear uh, someone else, um, maybe just some of your first experiences at Myers Park. It's no secret. It's a predominantly white church uh, for now, but we've seen some wonderful strides, some beautiful diversity um, as people are finding it a place to call home for their spiritual life. What were some of your first impressions of this church as someone who identifies as Black? 
I'll go. Okay. Um, go for it. <clears throat> my first impression, I was very surprised. I was very surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised in a way that really required me to reorient myself to the notion of church. Mm. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, I'm I'm pro God, and I've been, I've been pro God anti church for a very long time. Um, and so coming to Myers Park, so my first interaction was, you know, um, a sermon that Pico shared with me. My second one was a virtual experience. You know, the next was to come in person. And I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm. I kept waiting for the microaggression and for my antenna to go up, like, mm -hmm, just like the rest, <laughs> you know. Um, and I'm not going to I'm not going to say that, it, that I've never had a, a, an experience that wasn't warm and fuzzy at every turn because we are people. But I do think that there is something about the effort for action to match attitude that I deeply appreciate. Yes, And so that's been like my first impression, my second impression, my third impression, and so on. And so that even if we're talking about an inclusive space for all, I do appreciate the people that I see sitting in the congregation with me, right? What they look like. I appreciate the fact that it's like, um, if we're going to talk about inclusivity, not just inclusivity here, but not over here, because we're not there yet, that all those conversations are on the table. I, I, I really... Um, I really like that very much. And that's what keeps me coming back. Mm -hmm. I love that you said the, the attitude and the effort are in step together. Like they they both have to be there. <laughs> the attitude and the, the effort. I love it. That's how we get to actions, right? It takes attitude and effort, uh, mindset and effort to get to um, actual change. So I love that. I love that. Mm -hmm. uh, Devin, what were some of your first impressions? I know your family was actively looking trying out a few kind of churches. And so what was kind of some of your first impressions of Myers Park? Yeah, so I think, um, so my family's Jamaican and I think there's some kind of, there's a benefit there um, coming from a country that is majority black. There isn't, there, I was never raised with notions of, I belong here, but not over here. Or I, there are certain spaces that I, I can't occupy because my parents never had that mindset growing up in a country that's majority black and they've con continued with that mindset um, here. And so coming to Myers Park, I knew that I was um, not in the racial majority. I knew that I was um, going to be around people that were in a higher socioeconomic status than I was. I knew that there were going to be people that um, that I was not going to that majority were not going to be members of the LGBTQ plus community. And despite that, I um, I wanted to go anyway. I was actually the main driver to um, kind of to get there. And I'm not going to say that there has never been experiences that I've had that kind of made me perk my ear up and go hmm. And I've never had, or that I've never had microaggressive um, adjacent experiences there. But I think overall my experience has been so genuine. I think like Lorian said, I was constantly when we first got there, waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for the one thing that was gonna make me say, you know, these are just like all the other Baptists, just like all, you know, and that never really happened for me. Um, 
And every time I went, I got pro um, proven wrong that my um, conceptions around church and especially around Baptists were um, a little warped. Um, so that's been kind of my experiences at Myers Park. I think I'm grateful that to be in an environment that challenge, challenges me every time I'm there, that encourages me to be a better person, that encourages me to be more thoughtful about the way I perceive the world around me. Um, and I see myself kind of being a part of the Myers Park Baptist community for as long as I'm able to. Excellent. This is so important for us to, to put out there that, yes, we've had wonderful experiences, glad to call Myers Park Baptist Church home, but expectations before coming in, you know, that guard being up, it's not just for the sake of, you know, uh, being separatist or, or, or feeling better than or anything. It's because we know elsewhere and in the majority of spaces that guard has to be up, right, for our own protection, for our own safety. Um, it's too often that we do go in spaces unawares. You know, it could be just going to the grocery store and those microaggressions happen. Sometimes it's just aggression, right? It's not always micro. It's just an aggression. It's not passive aggressive. It's just aggressive. <laughs> so it it's, um, fills me with so much hope to hear that Myers Park is is um, was founded in and is truly working even harder to become this inclusive space, not just for race, but as um, Lauren said, for so many other ands, you know, identities and who we are in God, right? We're, we're a church at the end of the day. And if we believe in being that community, we have to make sure it's community for everyone. I love that. I love that. Uh, we don't have too much time left, but um, if there are any other questions online for our uh, viewers, if you have another question you want to pop in, I will be happy to get that in here. Um, I did want to ask, um, I almost lost it. It was a good question too. Mm. That was a good question. Time to move on to another question then. <laughs> but I, I guess I just want to hear a little bit about um, just realizing so much going on. And even as I was preparing for this, for this panel, some more recent news events, some things are, are happening. Um, but I wanted to hear a little bit from everyone, um, again, on how you feel like you and your generation um, are kind of responding. What, what are the trends you see? What, what are the the great things you see about your generation in regards to uh, some of the violence that's happening, uh, some ridiculous laws that are being passed. What do you see happening in your, from your generation? And we can start with uh, somebody from pop in there. Well, I'll just add, I'll take it off just for a second. One of the things that I'm most concerned about is um, I feel that uh, many are retreating to uh, various separatist corners uh, rather than trying to um, remain in conversation longer, rather than trying to um, uh, look how we can uh, get a better outcome together. And, I, and that, that does uh, concern me. I think that uh, people have uh, become overly dependent on social media uh, without a fact um, and they're letting that guide their decisions, their emotions, their actions, in fact. And that's, that's, that's very concerning. Um, you see many different things uh, that are occurring in the system relative to really discourage um, voting, uh, particularly 
for um, the underrepresented, um, so people of color. And, and that's very, very concerning uh, because our democracy is built on that. So I am concerned about that. And I think really, if you go back to where I think we had, uh, there was quite a bit of work done in the 60s. A lot of it came out of very close-knit organizations, close-knit churches, close-knit families who really bound together to really drive home the importance of uh, the groups as a collective going toward a greater good. And I think we've kind of lost our step somewhere. Uh, as Mrs. Bowles said, I think, you know, they did a lot of work. I mean, sometimes, and I, sometimes I go back and I tell my mom, I don't know how you guys did this because I just don't know if I would have had the strength to make it through in one piece. And I admire that tenacity. And so I am concerned about that. It is for that reason that I came to a place like Myers Park where everybody doesn't look the same, but it seems like the intent is uh, the foundation of the intent to be inclusive, to do good things, to not just say good things, but actually put your money where your mouth is, do the action, do the work. And it's for that reason, I will continue to work and make it stronger. So uh, I think that's, that's, I'm concerned. I'm not frightened, but it's for this reason, I think it's really important for us to build, uh, build our church up to get ready for even more pressing matters. Mm -hmm. well, someone else, Pico? If I may jump in. Um, let me say one more thing to the previous question you asked okay. about um, um, what you would want your church family to know. Please. And I think this is sort of in the same vein as what Devin and Lorian were mentioning, which is that like, things looks great, but you're still sort of like looking around and seeing. I, I think the question that every time I go, I, I sort of I'm holding for myself is, um, um, what kind of belonging is Myers Park going to allow me to have, right? Like what's mm -hmm. the threshold of belonging um, is going to be reserved for me? For some of us who've been a part of white institutions, either as employees or as students or whatever, you know that there are different levels of belongings. We love you on the website, and then we love you when you, and then we look, right? So, like, there are all kinds of different levels of it. But imagine if Black folks said something to the effect of, like, okay, this really important thing about Myers Park isn't working for the Black, for Black folks who come. Pick whatever most treasured tradition is. If that was challenged, would the church be willing to either put it aside or at least reconsider it on behalf of the members, right, uh, of, of, of this constituency who haven't always been a part of it. So I think that's really important, and I'm still sort of looking out for that and seeing mm -hmm. it. Um, I think in terms of my generation or what folks are doing that I find exciting now is that I love the taking strategies of uh, generations past and sort of remixing it to make it fit today, right? Mm -hmm. So you think about um, some of the stuff that somebody like Stacey Abrams is doing, you think about um, just a whole host of different folks who are doing different things, including our own our own city. Some of the folks, some of the things that people are doing in West Charlotte, be it with a land trust or those kinds of strategies of addressing the problems. I'm always really inspired by um, the brilliance of strategies. Some of it is things that's happened in the past and sprinkling a little bit of social media on it. Um, I'm really excited and, and inspired by that. And again, working with young people in my line of work, it's one of the things that really um, sort of gets me out of bed. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. 
I think for me, if I can jump in, um, I I get excited every time I see people my age and people even younger than me um, kind of becoming more activist minded. And I'm not saying that, that that's something new that's been happening. Um, that's something that's happened for generations where youth really take up and, and become um, the voice for change. But seeing um, right now, I'm thinking of Stella Keating, who was 16 when she testified before the Senate um, and Greta Thunberg and all those names that are out there. Um, and just seeing how passionate my generation can be when we sort of all put our minds together and say, this is a problem and we are gonna be the ones to fix it. Um, and I think that, especially when it comes for issues like climate change, um, and now I'm seeing um, in Florida and Texas with the trans bans that are happening um, and the way that young people are just saying enough is enough and we're tired of it and we're not gonna stand for it anymore. Um, has been so inspiring for me as a person that um, considers myself to be activist-minded and as a person that wants to do this for my career, um, to advocate for others as a career. Um, it's just, it's remarkable to see, to see how people um, come together. Mm -hmm. I love it. I love it. I admire your generation for that too, Devin, seeing a lot of that the passion is just all because I'm a millennial and we're tired. That's what we are. We're tired. <laughs> so we love seeing the passion. <laughs> you energize us because we're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're we still got some fight left in us, too. <laughs> but we get tired. <laughs> we're tired. of. I, I saw it online. I think it said that we're tired of living through multiple life change once in a lifetime events. Like we have, feel like we have the most once in a lifetime events old enough to vividly remember where we are during 9-11 but also during certain people's elections, remembering that these once in a lifetime events that we just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I will say too, that there is some, um, some, the benefit to being a young person is that we're not really bogged down by the past as much because we don't remember, we don't have any recollection of the past of what life was like before um, 9-11 of what of what life was like we just know that things suck now and <laughs> and we don't really have any anything to compare it to we're just saying things mm -hmm. suck now and we're gonna fix it mm -hmm. and um, that's something that I think uh, is such a benefit to being a young person is that we're not really concerned with what was or what or you know how things you know I think so many times I've heard people say we've tried that before we've already done it you know it can't be done for xyz but I hear so many people in my generations and millennials saying it can be done if we work at it. And if we try hard enough, like it can be done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That kind of reminds me of what Carla was hinting at too, with we need that conversation, right? It's up to older generations to pass on the history, the knowledge, the ideal of, you know, if we want to keep it spiritual of like this, this possible kingdom, like what it, what could be, right? There's our hope and our future. Uh, but we also need some young people who say, yeah, because we know this ain't it. So we're gonna we're gonna put some energy behind this and get it to where we can dream and imagine what could be. I love it. I loved it, Miss Tonda. Hearing all this, what do you? What are your thoughts? Um, hearing uh, some of the other generations speak on this. I'm sitting here and I am thoroughly just loving Devin. Um, because I'm listening to him and remembering myself. Mm. So, but, and I love the way he, 
it put it like um, there's not really a pass to um, hold this down because that's not a part of the remembering. And for my generation, we we had two things going on. We had to a lot of times plan and strategize in secret because mm-hmm. parents were so fearful for our lives so that we couldn't put that energy out there with them until, you know, I've heard a couple of you say about the strategy. So I just, I'm really hoping that although I can't see it and I'm not a part of that strategizing, that there is lots of strategizing going on. The work will get done again. Carla, yes, we're tired, but we kept going. We it was that there was a movie network, I think, and he says, "I'm mad as hell. I, I can't take it anymore." I think that's where we had my generation, the boomers, had gotten to. Like enough is enough. Or when you say, well, "What are you going to do? Kill me?" You know, it, it just got you sick and tired of being sick and tired. So I I love that I think that I haven't really opened my eyes a lot a lot here lately. I've been cringing um, to realize that there's strategy going on, there's work going on, and and it's it's going to get done. And I think the folks here at Myers Park will be a, a big part of that. Excellent. I think you've also named something that we didn't really touch on. Um, we don't have much time, but I mean, it. this work isn't easy and it's not always safe, right? When right. you talked about parents being mm-hmm. uh, fearful, it's not yeah. out of a, a general just fear or a cowardice. It's a, it's a very yeah. real very concern. Good. Yeah. Um, Lorraine, would you speak a little bit? I know as a, as a parent, you also have to keep that in mind too, right? You have your own issues, yeah. but seeing... Your young people, uh, <laughs> what they have to go through as well. What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, that was exactly the point that I was going to jump in the conversation. I was thinking about the tension about conversation and face-to-face interaction. I think that we actually have to embrace the technology. Mm-hmm. I think I think I actually think that the my generation and the generations that come after have seen the the dangers a very public-facing, front-facing, street-facing, organizing, leadership is killed, right? Like, so on the one hand, I can think we can be really critical about the social media and the lack of face-to-face interaction, but I think that's a sanctuary too. Mm -hmm. You know, it is safer for you to do that work through social networking. And I don't mean like slacktivism, just clicking likes and things like that. Like, Folks are doing things. They're organizing mutual aid groups. They're organizing care communities. And it's actually better that everybody doesn't know what's going on Mm -hmm. because it's safer for everybody to not know what's going on. And I think that that's what um, the lesson that uh, younger generations are taking and going with. But because it doesn't look exactly the way it looked in the past, we think that it's not happening. Right. So I think that's one of the things that like, I'm really excited about. And there's this constant both and like when I think about my kids in terms of I want them to be safe online, but I also think that 
they're not snatching kids up off the street anymore, but they're snatching up their minds through the internet, right? And so, you know, there's always that kind of constant work. So it's a both and, it's a new set of problems, um, a new set of concerns, but I also think there's a new way and space to build community that's under that's being under-resourced in some ways. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think about that both and kind of thing yeah. all the time when I think about what the, what the forward looks like. And I think we have so much to learn from, from our young folks because there are just, things we don't see. I didn't think about, you know, my kids being stressed out about climate change for a very mm-hmm. long time until they start talking about it. And you're like, oh, so I grew up in it like, oh, we just recycle and that's good. Check plus for you. That ain't going to be it. And they think about that and they have a mindfulness to that, that we can't diminish ever because they are inheriting the world. Um, and they have to think about a long, a much longer future than the rest of us. And so I, mm-hmm. I think about that as a way to kind of be pausing and, and thoughtful. And they have, you know, creative imaginaries that the rest of us are going to just have to kind of go along on a ride. And I trust them because they're our kids. Mm-hmm. Trust in, in how you raised them, how you brought them up. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I love that. I love that. Well, our time is, is winding down. Um, I do have a closing kind of uh, question to that anyone is welcome to answer. I would love to hear from all of you. Um, and it's simply this. What is what is your hope? What is your hope for um, your generation, maybe, or the church, uh, this country? What What is your hope from your perspective as uh, someone who's black from your perspective generation, as a member of this church? What what if if any? Let me be honest there. What is the hope if you can muster any right now? What is your hope? Mm-hmm. Whoever wants to jump in there. <laughs> I know. <laughs> my hope is for um, my hope is for Christians to remember their revolutionary history. Mm. You know, um, whether if if we talk about living a Christ-like life, the the lessons are there. Don't don't let the the ideologies of of mind control that have come from so many different spaces cause you to lose that focus. You know, Jesus was a revolutionary spirit to walk with a lot of folk. And so just to kind of be mindful of that, that would be my hope. And I think that leads into my hope for the belief in democracy, because we're, we're it's at a crossroad, always has been, but I think it feels more perilous now. So I hope that mm-hmm. we can refuse fascism and authoritarianism. And I hope that we can do that collectively by piggybacking the the, the first idea with the second idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Reverend I I want us to just, um, one of the things I'd like to do is uh, for us as a country, as a church, as a community, to remain open to many different ways to achieve success. Many Mm -hmm. different ways to, it's not just one way because historically this is the way it's been done and there's been no problem. Don't rock the boat. Uh, I think the demands we have on our society right now require greater action, broader actions, all of those things to make this a better place. And as Christians, if we say we are going to be a part of Christ-like, we want to be a part of a Christ-like community, we got to do the work. That's it. Mm -hmm. If I may, I think um, my hope is that we are courageous enough to have skin in the game. 
mm-hmm. um, and to realize that for some of this change to happen, we may have to give something of ourselves, um, 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 lay down some of our privileges. And I hope that in all these areas of isms, those of us who have more privileges in those places will give up more of our things um, than than those who are marginalized. Um, so, so I hope we remain courageous enough to um, um, to not really expect that. You know, you can just sort of sit back or draw the line that I, I'm I'm willing to fight the fight, but as soon as it gets to a point where I gotta think about where you know, I live or where I'm going to school or all any of those kinds of things that we retreat. So I hope we're courageous enough to, to, to continue to have skin in the game. I think, go ahead, Debbie. I think my hope is that we never forget the history that got us here, um, both the good and the bad. Um, and I think it's getting easier for that to, I think it's getting, I actually think it's getting harder for that to happen um, now that the way history is taught in schools is being um, hyper-policed and being um, weaponized and politicized, um, where we have to be, um, where we can't talk about the realities of the history that happened. But it's my hope that we never forget that there is a history of oppression, that there's a history of all of these things happening, and that's dictating how we're being able to live our lives today. and so that's that's my hope that we don't forget what got us here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ms. Tonda, would you mind sharing if you have hope uh, for us? Um, my, my sincere hope is that um, that people will become less. Um, I guess I'm finding that people, there's a a one way or a no way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've never in my life seen so many white folks who, to the right um, politically. So for whatever is binding them, I'm hoping that somewhere the flashbulb will go out, go off in front of them. And they're like, we, I've been hypnotized, mesmerized. So they sort of get back to reality because I, I think with all of that, they've lost reality. So I'm just hopeful that through some, I thought this week's events in Europe might have made a difference. I don't know. Uh, we shall see. But I'm just, I'm just amazed at the marching in place um, that people seem committed to do. I, I've just never seen so much of that, and I, I'm just hoping that whatever brought it on, the, the balloon will burst and stop. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm. And 
as we are uh, to the end of our time here, I do have to say thank you, thank you, thank you to each and every one of you taking time out of your busy schedules to just chat with us a little bit. Um, I know that conversations like this for me uh, could, could go on for some time. We could talk about all kinds of things, but I think it's a great starting point, right, to just let people see who we are, get our faces out there and know that, uh, as Ms. Tonda said, we don't bite. <laughs> that I think any of us would be happy to have conversations, knowing that uh, those are the kind of conversations that move us forward. Um, and I'll close with this. Again, thank you to um, everyone at Myers Park Baptist Church who has been watching, uh, supporting our AV tech team, Reverend Mia McLean facilitating on the back end here. We certainly appreciate it. Uh, but I'll close with this quote that I'm probably going to butcher a bit, but it's okay because, you know, grace and mercy. Um, <laughs> but I saw this quote that said something along the lines of, a reminder to live the life that represents the kind of ancestor you want to be remembered as. To live the life that represents the kind of ancestor you want to be remembered as. Um, I heard in this panel, we called on some names already of ancestors. I heard uh, James Baldwin and some others and just remembering how we want to be remembered too. What work can we do now? You know, What actions can we do now? What efforts do we put forth now? Um, as Carla mentioned, you know, what, who do we need to listen to, right? What stories need to be told? What history needs to be shared? As Devin mentioned, um, work, work needs to be done. So God bless you. God bless our viewers and audience. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And have a wonderful afternoon. Thank you. Thank you.